We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by Untuck It. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. Today we're going to talk about Frank Vogel. I've been kind of cracking up watching Vogel and these 11-2 and two Lakers. His approval rating is about as high as it can be at this point in the season. And it got me to thinking, Darius, about how we evaluate coaches in the first place. What we kind of do is, was your record as good as we expected it to be? Yeah. And if it, if it was better, you're a good coach. If you If it wasn't, or if the next guy came in like Steve Clifford and did better than you did, you're a bad coach. And I, I've just been kind of chuckling about how reductive the whole evaluation process is because even somebody like me who went back and watched Vogel's offenses through the the Pacers through Orlando much more recently and came away with kind of like yeah he's okay and watched some defense and he's okay there's so much more that goes into coaching than really what we can see on tape by not following the guy or the team on a game-to-game basis. So now that we've got 13 games under our belt, Lakers have the best record in the NBA at 11-2, and with a bit of a soft schedule, especially these last few games. I want to know how we got here. If nothing else, what I see on this team is buy-in. Now, we'll see if that persists through adversity, but for the time being, we're cool on that, on that end of things. What 
we talked with Aaron a bit last week, and if you're listening to the pod and you haven't listened to the previous one, I highly recommend it. Uh, Inside the Lakers with Aaron Larsoul. He travels with the team, had a couple of great stories about Vogel, about AD and LeBron. Check it out if you haven't already. But from the stories that Aaron told, it seems like Vogel's gotten some degree of buy-in so far. What, in retrospect, were some of the challenges that he had to face in order to get there? Well, first of all, I definitely agree with the fact that he has buy-in. In terms of the challenges to get there, like, I mean, think back to when he was hired, man. And mm. and second choice, third choice? Bro, he probably wasn't the third choice. It depends on who you believe. He may not have been in the top five. Right? So he was a guy who was targeted as an assistant coach for the mm-hmm. guy who was supposed to get this job. The guy who's uh-huh. now an assistant coach for the Clippers, right? Tyron Lue. There was a big Lakers cake for Tyron Lue's birthday, <laughs> right? You, re- you remember all of these stories and mm-hmm. Rambus is interviewing and all of this stuff, right? And, and, and so this guy who sort of came in and didn't necessarily have this great, um, there wasn't a good process surrounding his hire, it seemed like. So I feel like he had that to overcome. The fact that not only was he sort of not the top choice, but the guy who seemingly was the top choice had all of this built-in credibility with LeBron James that Vogel mm-hmm. did did not have, right? And, and so it, it seemed like Vogel was really starting at a deficit in terms of what his standing probably was within the organization, what his standing was within, at that time, just LeBron James, right, as the key player that's on the team. So there was sort of a lot of bridge building and this idea of he has to earn the respect of these guys, Mm -hmm. and that comes first and foremost, right? So before you can get buy-in, you have to have all of this relationship building that needs to exist first, right? Especially when you weren't the guy. So I think that there was a lot of that just at the very beginning that he had to overcome. And then you talk about X's and O's acumen, especially on the offensive side of the ball, which is, I think, an area where this idea that LeBron sort of judges coaches harshly at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Can you think the game, especially offensively at my level? And if you can't, you seemingly already have demerits against you. So I think those were sort of some of the hurdles, right, that that existed out there for him. So you've got this guy who's like 5'9", 5'10", played Division three college basketball, and he's entering, you know, this environment with LeBron James, Jason Kidd, Anthony Davis, Lionel Hollins, all of this experience around him, Rondo, Dudley, Danny Green. NBA experience How- too, right? NBA experience, yes. How does a guy like that earn the respect and build the relationships in order to get to the point where he gets buy-in in the first place? Yeah, I think that that's definitely, I think that was the key challenge, right? Along with necessarily not being the number one choice. And so so, mm-hmm. so how do you bring all of that together And I think some of that is on Vogel. I think some of it is also on the players, right? To just sort of come in with the right mentality. So I think that like this is a pod about Vogel, right? But I Mm -hmm. think that you don't get to where this team is unless the players are coming in with the right mindset to to sort of be open-minded, to want to give the coach the benefit of the doubt and want to do the things that he's asking you to do. Because... Things could totally go wrong 
if they're not on that wavelength very early on and and sort of come into training camp with that idea that we're going to get after it for this guy too. Well, like one of the things that Aaron was saying was the collaborative type approach. And that really stood out to you in the last pod, right? And I think that that's probably the first place where a guy like that can earn that respect is by collaborating and within that collaboration show that he belongs, show that he can think the game, shows that he understands his weaknesses. So you brought up the offensive end, but my guess is that Vogel is probably really relying on being the defensive mind yeah. of this team and really handing the keys of this offense to LeBron, to Rondo. Now, we'll talk in the second part about some of the challenges ahead. That's been obviously the lesser of the two sides, but I would imagine that that process of earning respect really involved this collaborative approach in which Vogel shows that he's worthy in the first place. Yeah, I I also think too, like think of some of the recent teams that these guys have played on, right? And, and, And so LeBron's last run in Cleveland, they were definitely an offensively minded and approach team, right? They were one of really one of the top offenses probably of all time, right? With with what they were doing with Kyrie and LeBron and Kevin Love and Kyle Korver and J.R. Smith and, and sort of all these supplemental pieces that allowed them to, to sort of breeze through the playoffs without necessarily a strong defense. Now think of Anthony Davis as well, playing under Alvin Gentry for the last several years and this idea that we're going to be able to outscore teams. And so think about maybe when was the last time these guys pro- probably had a coach with the defensive acumen that Vogel had. That's a great point. And and while we can talk about X's and O's from an offensive standpoint, if Vogel is coming into training camp and sort of saying, we're going to be a defensive-minded team and this is how. And look at my my track record. And this is how I've had success in the past. He can look at LeBron James eye to eye and say, remember when we were busting your ass when you were in Miami Mm -hmm. and giving you all that you could handle. I think that we may have downplayed some of Vogel's sort of like credentials at, like in the first part of our discussion, but 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 Vogel has some of that too, right? So he's not coming into this as like some doe-eyed rookie coach who hasn't been mm-hmm. around the block. He definitely has NBA success, but he doesn't necessarily have that same background as like a player or someone who's been around the league like that, the way that Lou had, or even Luke Walton had, or especially a guy like Lionel Hollins and Jason Kidd, right? Hollins was a championship level player back with Trailblazers, Right. And so these guys brought a lot of NBA institutional credentials mm-hmm. and, and Vogel has that as as a coach. But it's it's more complicated than that. But he could cut through a lot of the BS with his, hey, I am a defensive coach. This is how we're going to do it. And then to have success, especially the way that they have on that side of the ball early in the season, I think that you can maybe have an offense that lags behind a little bit, right? If you're showing that the side of the ball, which you're sort of a subject matter expert, shines through in the way that it has. And I think that helps generate and maintain buy-in as well. Yeah, you talked about the how they do it on the defensive end. And I think that's critical to earning that buy-in because I do think that's what Vogel's been in charge of. And so I want to talk about some of the specifics regarding how he's gotten the buy-in. Some of the concerns that I had with this roster was 
how are they going to be able to defend the perimeter with traditional fives? You've got JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard, neither of whom have shown any inclination to defend the perimeter, to show high. You've got Anthony Davis at the four, which has historically been the worst of the two options between him at the four or the five in defensive rating, net rating, however you want to look at it. In the preseason, they were giving up open threes to Joe Harris coming off of down screens while Dwight Howard hung back in the paint. Uh, And then, you know, you've got these on-ball defenders that they've got some value, but maybe Avery Bradley isn't the best help defender. Danny Green isn't the best on-ball guy in space. So we thought, do you remember our predictions? I think we were 10 to 15, somewhere in that yeah, range I, I, for defensive rating. I thought that they might top out at like eighth. Like I thought eighth through 12th yeah. was probably like where I thought that they would end up and that, oh, they'll be a top half of the league defense. So what is Vogel's contribution to getting this to, this is the best defense in the NBA. I know they've played cupcakes. I know that the meaty part of the schedule is coming up and maybe they drop to second or third or something like that. But this defense is really good. And the way that they've been deployed, all of these big physical defensive players, Vogel seems like a kid in the candy store, right? With how they are dominating the paint. Like in ways Jeannie asked me today, she's like, do you think this is like an all-time defense? And like, it's too early to say yes to that, but it got me thinking like they are different. They are defending in a way that is maybe not supposed to work in the modern NBA. So what has Vogel done in deploying what he has to take this from that eight to 12 defense that maybe we thought to the best defense in the NBA right now? Well, I- I don't know about you, but I see a lot of discipline, right, in terms of what they're doing on the perimeter, especially in order to play to the strengths of how this roster is built. What's the, what's an example of that discipline on the perimeter? So even so, and I think that this works hand hand in hand with with the big guys. But um, there was a play that happened in the last game. Um, Rondo was out on the perimeter and and he was going up against Trey young. Um, a ball screen was coming up. They're on the left side of the court. So Trey young is on the left side, side of the court attacking a ball screen is about to come up to get Rondo so that Trey young can go to his dominant hand, the right hand to go towards the middle of the floor. As that screen is coming up, Dwight is yelling, and I hear it over the TV screen, right? He's yelling, ice, ice, ice. And Rondo wasn't going to play it that way at the very beginning. But he got out there, and he tried to contain Trey Young. He didn't quite get there to cut off his dribble, but he made Trey Young flatten out and turn back the other direction. Now, the play, when we talk about defensive discipline, you've got Dwight calling out the action and what they're supposed to do at the point of attack. Rondo, not necessarily in the right position at the very beginning, but then work, he really did work his tail off to slide out there and get to where he needed to be in order to turn Trey Young back to go to his left hand. And you see that possession after possession by these perimeter players in terms of working to get out on angles, funnel ball handlers to where they're supposed to go, which really then puts their big men in optimal position to try to defend plays the way that they're best capable of doing it. 
So that's something that that's execution of a game plan right there, right? Like with your bigs, what you're trying to achieve with the game plan in, in terms of how you have your guards defending is you want the big on the right side of the screen, meaning the correct side mm-hmm. of wherever the screen is coming. So if we're weaking, it, just send your guy in my direction. I'm speaking as the big right now. Send your guy in the direction that we talked about before this game started. If you do that, I will be in the right place and I will be able to clean this up for you. And so there's been a great deal of adherence to that. Yeah, there's just this idea of, and this comes down to having veteran players too, but I also think it comes down to just coaching, right? And points of emphasis. Mm -hmm. And this is how we're going to do things. And if we do things this way, it's going to work, right? Mm -hmm. And so far, all of those things are in alignment, right? The players are doing the things that they're asked to do, not only on the perimeter, but the big men as well. And the results are there for them, which only means the next time we're going to do it again, the time after that we're going to do it again. And the one or two times that it doesn't work, you have all of this evidence that's mounting now that in the big picture, it does work. Mm -hmm. And, And so that comes down to the way that you get discipline in life, not just in basketball, but in life, right, is I'm going to try this and it better work, right? And so, oh, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to exercise a little bit more. I'm going to cut this out. I'm going to cut that out, right? Uh, Like no more soda, no more sweets, no more potato chips. Well, guess what? If I cut out soda, sweets, and potato chips and then start exercising every day and I weigh myself next week and I've gained 10 pounds, guess what I'm doing the next day? I'm popping open the soda. I'm not going to the damn gym and I'm eating potato chips. <laughs> it's not worth right? it. It's not worth Because it. none of this stuff is working. So when it's time to say, here are the numbers. We're the top defense in the league right now. The things that I'm telling you that I said were going to work, they're actually working. And that goes back to that idea of generating and maintaining buy-in, right? Like this is all a puzzle and the pieces are all fitting together right now. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, I do want to talk a little bit more about the defense, a couple more points I want to hit. And then we're going to get into some of the challenges ahead for Frank Vogel. So hang tight. We'll be right back. The holidays are almost here, and you know what that means. Gifts. And what better gift than a stylish shirt that fits just right? Unlike most brands, Untuck It shirts are actually designed to be worn untucked. Untuck It shirts always fall at that just right length, no matter your size, so you look casual and sharp. With more than 50-plus fit combinations, Untuck It shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. You can find your favorite Untuck It style online or check out one of their 80 brick-and-mortar stores. Choose from styles like wrinkle-free button-downs, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. With Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. And their website is so easy to use. They even have a whole page devoted to helping you find your fit. So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit UntuckIt.com and use promo code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T dot com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. So Darius, before the break, you were talking about the discipline of this team. One of the aspects of that that are not necessarily X's and O's, but I do think relate back to the coach and more the general culture of the team, which can be credited to people beyond just the coach, is they really help each other. 
And the yeah. the whole idea of being, we're going to be great at protecting the rim. Well, how do you do that? Credit to Palenka and Rambus and who put together this roster in that and who knew we'd be oh, saying man. this at this point right? that was a random hey, man, that was a random throw in right there but but yes is del- yes. delicious crow bro it's delicious crow um the guards make sense to have as perimeter defenders alongside a bunch of rim protectors in that bradley and kcp in particular caruso can be can fit this description as well, are very aggressive on the perimeter. That's not always good. Sometimes aggressive is not the right play, but I feel like the coaching staff has put them in a position to continually be aggressive, do what you do well, and that happens to fit. Like if we had no rim protectors back there, Avery Bradley and KCP and even Caruso would often be liabilities with how aggressive they are. There was a possession last night against Atlanta where Caruso bodied up on Trey Young out on the perimeter who had a live dribble. Trey Young beats anybody in the league if you're playing tight on him with ball pressure. But what you don't want is Trey Young to pull up for an open three because you're a step and a half off of him. I can't help you if I'm the big if you're letting him shoot jump shots. So Caruso stays in him. Trey Young beats him. AD rotates over to help. And then, you know, I I wrote a piece for The Athletic today about AD's ability to be kind of everywhere and anything. He's in two places at once in that he's contesting Trey at the rim and then gets the strip to the big on the dump off. Right. And so it's kind of built around this really freakish defensive player. But I see that commitment to helping each other because it's all great and well to say that if Caruso gets up into Trey and then it's an uncontested layup on the back end, if that happens enough times, then it's going to be that pull-up jumper for Trey because Caruso's not, it's just human nature. So I, I see a real adherence to that playing for each other and helping each other. No, there's definitely, all of those things go hand in hand, right? Like, you know from being around scrums and hearing as many coaches talk as you've heard talk, not not only at the NBA level, but, but like at clinics and all of this, but this idea of we want our defense to be on a string, right? And mm-hmm. let's help the helper. Everyone Everyone's moving sort of in unison in order to to ensure that the integrity of the defense is not going to be broken by a weak link. These are all sort of cliche coach speak things, but the reason why they're cliche and the reason why coaches repeat them ad nauseum is because they're absolutely true. Mm-hmm. And they lead to success when you do them the right way. The things that the Lakers are doing in terms of, just as you described, playing for each other helping the helper, being where they're supposed to be in order to help a teammate when they're executing their half of the equation. Now I have to be there to execute mine. Those are the things that lead to this idea of we're in this together, right? And, and mm-hmm. so I there was a play that you just described, and that happened against the Hawks as well. But guess who was helping on the back line? It was Kyle Kuzma. Right. And so the the ball handler goes up. He finishes a basket, goes right around Kuzma. But guess what? Kuzma was where he was supposed to be. He's just Kyle Kuzma. He's not Anthony Davis. Right. But I can guarantee Mm -hmm. you on tape when they're looking at that, they're not saying, Kuzma, you did a bad job here because a guy got a layup around you. They're probably going to point out to Kuzma and say, yes, 
that's the rotation that you need to make. Be there for your teammates. Results be damned. The process is right. This is such good experience for him, man. Being on this type of team where it's not just like, oh, you'll stand out like a sore thumb, but Kuzma wants it. Everybody I know around the Lakers who I know will tell it to me straight, Kuzma's work ethic is the real deal. And he, like, sometimes you can want it, but not know how to get it. All these dudes know how to get it. He's surrounded by those guys. So if Kuzma is going to become an adequate NBA defender to even above average, this is how it's got to happen. He's got to have people on the floor with him showing him the way. So that type of circumstance that you're describing is perfect for him and for the team as a whole. Now, I want to get into some of the challenges that Frank Vogel faces. As I said, this is the highest his approval rating could be at this point. Hopefully it's even higher when the Lakers win the championship this year. But for now, these have been relatively smooth waters. The The Lakers have actually had a more difficult schedule than anticipated by strength of schedule. But I don't know, like, are they just that good? Are they just beating the hell out of these, like, okay teams? I think that's kind of happening to some degree. But there are rougher waters ahead, be it by schedule or just these ebbs and flows happen over the course of 82 games. I thought Vogel made a very self-aware comment in today's practice talking about how he needs to do a better job of creating open looks for Anthony Davis, easier looks for Anthony Davis. How can he go about doing that? Because that is underneath this, like one of the things lurking is that AD has not gotten a ton of easy looks and has kind of fallen off lately. It could be injury, could be role. I do think that Vogel does play a role, a significant role in making this easier for AD. How does he do it? I mean, I'm about to put this back on you, right? Be because so okay, go for it. So there are certain things that I'm seeing, right? Not even from a how did we get here stand well, standpoint, but just in terms of the end result play, right? And so there are things that I think are happening too much. I think AD is isolating too much. I think that he is still getting a fair amount of shots at the rim, but the shots that he's not getting at the rim where he's shooting jump shots, those aren't off catch and shoots. Those are off of him sort of looking to create his own shot, right? Be it by turning and facing out out of post-ups or getting like an elbow catch, jab-stepping his guy off and then shooting a jumper. So what are you seeing, right, in terms of what is happening to AD? Because I'm seeing the end result, but I want to know what you're seeing in terms of how they're getting there. How often have we seen Anthony Davis finish on a pick and roll in the last five games? Man, I would say less than one time a game. Maybe right. like maybe two or three times, maybe. This is one of the elite pick and roll players in the NBA. Now, there are personnel reasons for that. With him at the four, you have to have Dwight or JaVale in the dunker spot. You, There are some things you can do of you know, having him set a wide pin down screen on the weak side so that you've got a shooter coming off of it. Maybe they could do that with Dwight and JaVale for the purposes of just getting that extra body or two extra bodies out of the paint to free up roll lanes for AD. I suspect that it's physical in nature, and maybe that's more concerning because he is not taking time off aside from that one game against Golden State. He is playing on an every night basis. Is this something that if he took a week off, if he took two weeks off, would he come back all the way better and rolling hard to the rim? 
not for me to say. That is something that I wonder. But the Lakers' pick-and-roll game has been largely nullified in that teams have just switched that LeBron AD ball screen. And it's usually... They they end up matchup hunting, usually with LeBron, but sometimes with Davis, less so recently. And so I wonder if that kind of nullification of the pick and roll game, I think they could play him with Rondo more. I think that sure. that's a place where you can get that. But that's somewhere where AD can get some easier touches on the move, but it would require you know certain plays being run, certain personnel groupings that may take away from the Lakers' defense and how well they've done on all those things we talked about in the first segment. Yeah, I I mean, one of the things that I've seen, too, in terms of the pick and roll is not only is it that there's somebody in the dunker spot, but there was a concept that you brought up a couple of podcasts ago about what the Lakers do defensively in terms of defending the pick and roll and that idea that Vogel brought up and or maybe it was in a video that that you made about like no roller behind. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And what I've been seeing from defenses lately as well is they've been playing the Lakers the same way. And they've been doing it that way, even when it's LeBron James handling the ball. And something that I've been noticing is, is that it's truly seems like teams are a bit more fearful of giving up a lob to Anthony Davis than they are of LeBron having to finish over one or two big men defenders, especially if one of the defenders is that guy who's rotating off of the dunker spot in order to sort of contain and challenge at the rim. And so what we've been seeing a lot out of the pick and roll is not the lob threat to Davis or the pocket pass to Davis, those passing angles have basically been nullified by the way that defenses have have been playing. The passes have been that have been there are the passes to perimeter shooters, right? Mm-hmm. And and teams have been much more willing to concede open jump shots to the Lakers, not only in straight up like man to man situations, but how much zone has this team faced over mm-hmm. the last week and a half or two weeks as well, right? And, and so it's hard to run a pick and roll when teams are zoning up against you. And, and the Lakers have been doing fine in terms of putting Anthony Davis at the nail, but they've been doing that with LeBron in the game and LeBron has been a passer to Davis at the nail. But what they have not had is another guard in the lineup to put LeBron at the nail and have AD be that second big man who is slashing from the baseline, right, in order to be that lob threat or that bounce pass receiver who's going to finish at the rim. And so there's there's a lot of that teammate activity between LeBron and AD that, to me, hasn't quite been there in the way that we would have anticipated before the season started. Yeah, there hasn't been a lot of LeBron to AD type of highlights. And if you told me the Lakers would be 11-2 and two right now, have the best net rating in the NBA, and LeBron AD hasn't clicked yet, I'd tell you that you're crazy. Because remember, right before the season, we were like, hey, Lakers got this two-man game, that that will be the centerpiece of anything great that they do that will kind of exude from this. That hasn't been how it's worked out at all. Well, one of the things I would say, too, is like this is where the numbers aren't necessarily telling you the full truth. If you were to dig into like NBA.com stats and you can see who is LeBron assisting the ball to and how is AD getting a lot of his assisted baskets, you would see that, oh, most of AD's assisted baskets are coming from LeBron James and a lot of LeBron's assists are going to Anthony Davis. 
guess what? Those are lobs in transition. Yes. Those are like passes to like little 15 footers. Those are generous assists mm-hmm. to, to like post up plays. They are not some of those real highlight plays that we saw in like the preseason against guess what? A crappy Golden State uh-huh. defense, right? <laughs> right. Where oh, look at LeBron throw a nifty pocket pass to AD and there's no big man helping. Like there have been few, very few of those. And you can attribute that to a lot of different things, but let's just call it what it is and just say it's not happening enough. If the Lakers want to get to where they want to go, if we're talking about the challenges ahead for Frank Vogel, this is a primary challenge, right? Not just getting AD better shots, but getting... AD better shots off of LeBron actions, because you're absolutely right. It's assists in transition. It's off of offensive rebounds and scramble plays that ensue from that or other situations. But organized actions in which LeBron creates an assist for Anthony Davis have been fewer and, and farther between. And like you said, a lot of those are that, you know, 15 foot from the left side of the court where he shoots in the high 30. Like Davis has never been good at the shots where he's been getting his attempts from. Like how many 15 to 17 foot fadeaways from the left high post have we seen from from Anthony Davis? And that's something that the Lakers need to rec- Like Anthony Davis is doing what he's always done. It's just the shot types and from where he's getting his shots seem to at least be different. So let me ask you this. How much of this do you think can be remedied if LeBron is going to be the one who's on the ball as much as he is? And what do you think Frank Vogel can do in order to to move LeBron maybe off of the ball in some of these AD and LeBron situations in order to generate two-man game between them that doesn't originate simply with a high screen and roll? I'd like to see the Lakers run more delays with Anthony Davis at the top of the key. We haven't seen a ton of that where, say, you start with LeBron in the corner. You've got your point guard. Let's say it's Alex Caruso because he's a very good screen setter. Caruso is going to throw that pass to the top of the key to Anthony Davis and then set a down screen for LeBron James in the left corner. AD is going to read... How, Caru- how LeBron comes off of that. And Caruso is going to read opposite of what LeBron does. So if LeBron yeah. pops up to the wing, Caruso is going to pop up out to the corner. He can always slip that screen. But what this action leads into a lot of times is Chicago or uh, handoff type action, right? Yes. Where LeBron's essentially going to be coming off of that first screen from Caruso and keep going into the handoff with AD. Now, at this point, this is essentially a pick and roll, but it's not stuck from one place, a high ball screen where the defense can load up and set. It's harder to switch on that. LeBron, if they overplay at high side, can back cut that and AD can hit him. Now, the difficulty with this is you have to have your big man in the correct dunker spot. So he would be on the right side dunker spot with LeBron coming out of the left corner because you want to open up the roll lane for AD and then force that single side tag, which means the weak side wing has to choose between dropping down onto Anthony Davis or staying home with Danny Green, right? And they're usually going to choose Davis even still, but we're going to get better looks out of that. So those delays are, are one place where they can do that. Aside from that, it's largely personnel, in my opinion. I think Hmm. that you can do some of that with Rondo in the game. 
LeBron's played more of a big man type of role when Rondo's been in the game, and and I think that's been the right way to use him. I still think it's a very clunky fit that comes with other problems, but if the question is specifically how do we get Anthony Davis better looks and move LeBron not necessarily off the ball, because you don't want to move LeBron completely off of the ball, but in a way that can give a different look than presently you know, they're giving teams, I think that's the best way to do it. You know, there's one action I'd love your feed feedback on to see how it would work if it was LeBron swapped into this role. But one of the things the Lakers have been doing a ton with some of their guards is they've been posting Anthony Davis on either the left or the right block, and they've been using like Avery Bradley or KCP as a post-entry passer from the wing or the Mm -hmm. corner. And then Mm -hmm. they've been running sort of that weak side triangle action, right? Where it's like you enter the ball into the post and then you cut off of the post. Mm -hmm. And the guards have been getting a lot of layups off of that because the defensive attention is so focused on, oh, well, damn, Anthony Davis has the ball right here. I'm still going to cover up on him, right? And, And the guard ends up getting a handoff. He gets a layup or AD fakes a handoff and then drives middle. Do you envision or do you think it could work if LeBron is working off of the ball to start possessions like that and he's in the same position that like a KCP or Avery Bradley is and he's the one who's making the post entry in mobile into Davis and then cutting off of that? Could that just be like a simple type of thing that the Lakers run in order to try to set some something up? Or instead of that post entry, LeBron calls for a side pick and roll in in that action because a lot of times the space on that is that there's a guy at the top of the key who's serving as like an outlet and then the other big is in the opposite dunker spot and then Mm -hmm. the other wing is spacing on the opposite side of the floor and so you you're essentially creating an open side there but I feel like the personnel the Lakers are using to set that action up often does not involve LeBron being the post entry he's usually the guy at the top of the key right who's making that first pass to the corner my concern with that now yes Two-man game with LeBron and Anthony Davis. If you've got LeBron speed cutting off of a post-entry pass, you can absolutely get looks at the rim on that. My concern is what happens if that doesn't work? Anthony Davis is not a very good passer from a like post-up position. You can tell that he has not done a lot of it. In his career to this point, he is a much better passer as a face-up player than, than he is when his back is turned. So that... After LeBron clears, if they defend the speed cut correctly, the spacing you have is somebody at the top of the key and everybody else is on the right side of the floor while AD is on the left side of the floor or vice versa. There's a lot of congestion for Davis to navigate. And that's really been what we've seen, right? Now, it's not LeBron is the speed cutter off of that. But if that first action doesn't work, you are faced with that same problem of AD having to make a read that he isn't particularly good at with four players on the side of the floor, which really means there are eight players on that side of the floor. Now, if you have LeBron, if you have LeBron as the speed cutter on the strong side, making that post entry pass, all of the gravity is going to be on that side of the floor. So maybe that opens up some skip pass opportunities for AD. He had a really nice one to Danny Green in the last game and Green was like talking to AD on the way down. I I couldn't hear what he was saying, but I'd like to think it was like, yeah, that pass right there, that one you've been missing, MFR, that's the one right there. Well, you know... Knowing Danny Green, it was very much like, excellent. Yes. Good job. Good job, my friend. How about that dunk? 
what the hell was that? No, and then today with the drug test, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't think I've been more surprised by a Lakers dunk in years, man. Like maybe the first time Caruso threw one down, I was like, what the? <laughs> but, but that Danny Green dunk was unbelievable. Well, I saw him. So just the way that that play developed, because Green had been pretty active on that play already, right? I think that he had crashed in a couple of times already and, and tipped and kept the ball alive and like in order to extend that possession. And so he circled back out like the ball can swing my way. And then LeBron shot it. And right when LeBron shot, shot it, you sort of could see Green just based off of the camera angle, start to dart in. And it was just that perfect, like, oh, they might as well have just thrown them a lob, right? It because they perfectly. couldn't have bounced. It was just a perfect per- bounce. Yes, it was fantastic. Anyways, one other thing I was going to ask you about sort, sort of X's and O's stuff is Kuzma's been back a handful of games now. I know that the Lakers have not truly explored a lot of different stuff that Kuzma can really do offensively. He He's mostly been used as a guy who's like screening and cutting off of the ball. He's been spotting up some and he's been getting a fair amount of action like in transition, which are the types of play types you want Kuzma to really be doing. But some of the things the Lakers haven't been doing a lot of, which I'd be interested in sort of get, getting your thoughts on, is even in line with like Quinn Cook or Alex Caruso, those are guys who can make the high post elbow post entry pass. Do you think the Lakers should be running more horns when LeBron and Davis and Kuzma are in the game together? And instead of putting Kuzma at the other elbow, you're putting LeBron there so that you can maybe run more two man game action. That's a little bit closer to the basket. You can set up some pick and pops there for Davis who, where he's sort of in that free throw line extended area, which are places historically where he's been an adequate, if not good shooter, right? Especially like from the free throw line, like dead on, like at the nail area, he's been good historically. Just more variation on how to get them into two-man game together besides just a high ball screen pick and roll stuff. Because just like you said, there are... You, you know, dozens of pick and roll variations off of handoff actions, off of like even wide pin down actions that basically turn into screen and roll opportunities based off of the, the personnel that's that's working together. Right. And the combined gravity between any action that's going to involve LeBron and AD is going to be high. Right. So I'm wondering what other ideas do you have beyond just the one that I just proposed in order to involve LeBron and AD together that can come in the flow of the offense that can work better to optimize Davis than what he's been so far? Because I agree, this is a challenge for Vogel moving forward. He admitted it today, but it's something that I've been noticing as well for the past, you you know, four or five games. So. From horn sets, you'd have to be doing that with Anthony Davis at the five. And if Kuzma's in the game, then that's pretty much elementary that he's going to be there. So I love those 45 pick and rolls, right? You got LeBron on one elbow, you got Anthony Davis on the other. 
The other three guys are cleared out so that you've got spacing around them and you've got this two-man game happening right in the middle of the floor with all that gravity that you were just talking about. So that's something that teams will switch. It's a little harder to get away with that when you're doing that at the free throw line. And the few times that Lakers have run 45s, that has worked very well. So that is certainly something that the Lakers can do. I think that uh, more Spain pick and rolls with Danny Green being involved would be really helpful. You know how you're talking about the no roller behind concept. That's something that having Danny Green screen that defensive big, because mm-hmm. that's how a, that's how a Spain pick and roll works, right? Is you've got AD setting a screen for LeBron, but then you've got Danny Green setting a screen for AD to, to roll off of, or AD can set that down screen for Green to make the zipper cut to the top of the key. So those Spain variations, Vogel's got some of those in his bag from the Indi- uh, from the Orlando days. That's something that Lakers can do more of. The thing that comes to mind with the Lakers in their big lineups with AD at the four, because most of this is stuff that would be more effective if AD was at the five. But if he's at the four, there's short pick and rolls where the big is at the dunker spot. They did it a couple times against Golden State in the preseason. And yes, it's a bad defense. It's also an effective set if you can lift on the weak side with Danny Green, have him lift from the corner to the wing. You've got a lot of nice space for AD on that roll there. Or if they drop down, LeBron's the best skip passer of all time. So just those Spain and that 45 horn set and those short pick and rolls, I think those are the best options that you've got there. One thing that I would like to say too, and, and I'd like to see this a little bit more, is split cut actions. Instead of the split cut being at the elbow area, You've got a split cut action off a off of a triangle side with AD sort of lifted in to the mid post rather than the deep corner low post. So so tell me where the players are. So you've got a player in the corner. You've got a player at the shoulder area, right? So two wing players. One of those guys is LeBron. Say the other one is like Danny Green or someone mm-hmm. like that. And AD is in the post, probably second lane block up if they were lining up to take free throws. Mm -hmm. And so post-entry into AD, and then off of that, you've got screen action between LeBron and Danny Green, right? So LeBron probably sets a pin down for Danny Green. Danny Green's popping up, maybe looking for that pass from AD. AD can also work off of the post, right? Off of that, AD can throw the ball back out to LeBron and then Danny Green is spacing now more towards the top top of the key and you're running now side pick and roll between LeBron and Anthony Davis. If they decide to ice, then LeBron is basically going baseline. He's got pocket past Anthony Davis. If they do not ice, then LeBron's going strong hand middle of the court and AD is staying right in that pocket area for either the bounce pass or the lob as LeBron is going to to the rim. They ran action like that against the Bulls. It ended up with with an AD dunk. It's probably the only time I've seen them run it all season. And I'm like, call that every once in a while? For sure. Once or twice a game? Here's the thing, though, and this is where it gets tricky. What do you do if they just switch? Yeah, so if they just switch, then... 
AD can then clear. LeBron's got a big guy on them. You do the same shit you've been doing, man. Like, I'm just saying though, like you have to try more and keep putting the defense in positions where they have to make choices. Hubie Brown used to say, and I think this was Hubie Brown, but you don't set screens just to basically free the guy up right? You set screens because it makes the defense make a decision. So keep putting Anthony Davis and LeBron in two-man game situations on and off the ball. Do it over and over and over again in order to make the defense make decisions. And over the course of a game, a defense is going to make mistakes, right? You're not playing against the freaking 2016 Warriors, every single time when you're talking about a switching defense and how many times can the defense actually get this right without miscommunicating and when you miscommunicate on an action between Anthony Davis and LeBron James guess what someone's getting a dunk like we started this pod praising Vogel and I don't want to end it making it seem like like we're starting to rail against him now but show me a little bit more Show me a couple of different ways and start to expand offensively in order to to involve these guys. Davis, to me, is being sort of underutilized offensively. He is carrying this team defensively, and I'd love to see him get just, you, you know, one or two more easier chances a game. And that's it right there. That's the next step that takes this... F- from being an 11 and 2 team to a team that can really contend for a title and that's what I'm looking for as well that keep trying stuff if it doesn't work move on to the next one but going to be keeping an eye on that for sure for the next 15 to 20 games until then you've been listening to Laker Film Room podcast and we will catch you guys next time Ains has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires again, and the Lakers win the game! The Lakers win the game! Gamble in and out. The ball is tipped, and it's saved. Three seconds left. Here's Van Exel. This is for the win. He got it! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. An amazing performance by Kobe. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans well, sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I know Red Arbach is uh, rolling over. Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you that's kidding it? me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple and a fall away in the corner with a shot clock down. Lakers by three. Ryan spinning in the lane. For Gasol, pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Pietras jogging back, didn't bounce the floor. It's a two-for-one situation. Kobe Bryant picked up by Powell. There's the move. Two, one, missing. Unbelievable. Bryant, yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me?
Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.